great. Um, just a couple of things. Um, we can make the announcement that seven more chairs were added this past week. So that brings us down to 35 left. We got this. Amen. And uh, thank you. God is speaking to people and continues to speak to them. And, and uh, whatever amount you decide to do, uh, God, I really believe, will honor that in this season. And this is a tremendous opportunity and, um, uh, to give in to, to a, a church building that is going up. And this is enabling us to, to have a, uh, a loan, uh, a borrowed amount that uh, is equivalent to what we have now or even less which would be amazing, so we can bang out this mortgage, amen? So I just want to thank you. Thank you again for your faithfulness, and we, we just have 35 chairs left. Praise the Lord. Um, on uh, a, a, a serious note here, um, many of you know that uh, our dear sister Kelly Burnham, she passed away this week, um, and Jeremiah, her son, and they have a daughter, Hope, and Beth, and then Gideon, who's in actually Boise, friends with my son, Zach, in their church there, uh, will, will be having a funeral. So I've met with the funeral director and met with the family. And so I just ask that as the church family, we, we uh, uh, continue to uplift uh, the whole family there. And this time, uh, we have a tremendous opportunity as a church, and I'm so thankful uh, in the midst of these sad, difficult times that the church rises up. And Kelly was a church family member, but she was a believer, and she was one of ours. So we're going to honor here her, and uh, just very briefly, the information is out there, but I know there's a sign-up sheet there for help, specifically for serving for Saturday. So there'll be a, vi a visitation at the Anderson Funeral Home from 4 to 7 on Friday, and then Saturday uh, from 10 to 11, there's also a visitation time here, but 11 o'clock, we'll have a memorial service for uh, the family and Kelly. So if you can serve for that, there's different spots you can sign up for. There's uh, help with setting up. Then there's the cleanup crew and all those things. And we're going we're gonna to bless this family and we're going to take care of this family. And we're going to love on this family. And so uh, I know that Kelly, if she's uh, you know, looking down even now, uh, she is greatly missed and we love her. She's dear to the church family. And I know it's a, it's, it, it's a very difficult time for, for all of us, and especially the family. So prayers of comfort and support. Thank you, for Church for the Harvest, for, for helping and stepping up to the plate. Amen. Amen. Well, let's uh, take a moment and ask for God's blessing over our time here this morning and all those that have tuned in on uh, Facebook or on social media. Lord, we just pray right now as we pray for the Burnham family and we pray for strength over uh, all of the children and, and just all of the details that have to come together for this uh, memorial service. And we bless them. Your continued grace and comfort be upon them all and, and extended family. And, and Lord, we just uh, thank you also for this time to, to hear of your word that you would speak to us in this season, uh, a season of shaking and awakening. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 3312, 33.12. Uh, the scripture is, blessed is the nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people uh, that he chose for his inheritance. That's been our foundation text. This is the third uh, message in the series, uh, blessed is the nation. And I kind of subtitled the tale of two cities and 
and we'll see how far we can get here this morning. Uh, we know we have Thanksgiving coming up this week, and she just thought it was interesting that it landed, and some things I'll be talking about that. Psalms 11.3 says, if the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And one translation says, what should the righteous do? Or the righteous should be doing something. And in this season, this is not a season in America for us to be passive, spiritually speaking. It is us to be engaged, to be active. It's us to be serious about our faith. Can I get an amen? Uh, George Washington had this statement. He said, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of God Almighty, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly to implore his protection and favor. That was our first president. Dwight Eisenhower was an American military officer and a statesman. He served as the 34th president of the United States from 1953 to 1961 during World War II. He served as the supreme commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force in Europe and achieved the rare five-star rank of general of the army. He was responsible for planning the supervision and the invasion of North Africa in Operation Torch in 1942 and 1943, and the successful invasion of Normandy in 1944-1945 from the Western Front. And he said, as the 34th President of the United States, without God, there can be no American form of government. Wow. Nor an American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being, it is the first and the most basic expression of Americanism. Thus, the founding fathers of America saw it, and thus, with God's help, it will continue to be. Somebody say amen. Ronald Reagan, I remember him, the 40th president uh, of the United States, and said this, of the many influences that have shaped the United States into a distinctive nation and people, none may be said to be more fundamental and enduring than the Bible. I want you to let that soak in. <laughs> Inside the Bible's pages lie the answers to all the problems that mankind has ever known. I hope Americans will read and study the Bible. That was from a U.S. president. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president, said the government instituted by the pilgrims was truly of the people, by the people, and for the people. Can you say Amen. See, it is not by chance that God uses powerful words uh, from whether it's politicians at times and, and leaders uh, to spark change, but God, especially in the formation of our nation, used the pulpit to shape the nation. I don't know if you knew that, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. The pulpit has always led the way from promoting of God-given freedoms when the nation was born to the abolition of slavery a century later, from turning the tide of, of liberalism to directing the nation back to God. And, and there's a lot we can talk about with George Whitfield and how God used him in our nation uh, at, at that founding time. We find ourselves today at a very similar crossroad. And the question is, will religious leaders today wake up? Will we repent and turn back to God? Or will they continue to, some of them, be woke but asleep to the things of God? Can I get an amen? You know, some pastors and leaders are preaching for the absence of criticism rather than the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Friends, as much as I love motivational and encouragement uh, speakers, it's not going to cut it in these times. These are serious times that we're living in. 
And pastors, really, we're, we're, not motivate, we're not called to be motivational speakers, even though there's an encouragement component. God has called us to be game changers. God has called to, to influence society, even at the risk of our own lives, and suffering the consequences of that. How many with me say amen or oh me? The pulpit greatly affects the pew. That's a fact, and it should. Regulates the spiritual climate of our nation. That is a historical fact, and we've fallen so far short of that. Some uh, historian once said, may it never be said of me that I was silent in the face of fear, and in doing so, pass the battle on to my children. Uh, we're not passing the battle on to our children. We're going to stand and fight in this season. Can I get an amen? God has called us to stand with him to do battle besides him. And the power of the Christian faith is, is, that, is, is that anyone at any moment now that says, Lord, yes, use me in this season. You have access to the power of God, I believe. You have access to the promotion of God. You have access to the equipment and the, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in this season. I believe that. Now, I'm not a history buff. and Some of you out there, that's all you do. Read, study, and you have photographic memory. I don't. Everything I read, I have to underline. I have a little stencil thing, and I take my time, and then I have to read it again. Come on, somebody. And then I have to read it again. But there's some things I dug into, I read, that were actually fascinating about our nation. And when I talk to you about it, which is the subtitle of my message today, The Tale of Two Cities. And what we have today is, is a, a massive assault on our historical uh, uh, foundation as a nation. Uh, we've heard about the 1619 Jamestown, Virginia colony, and then we have 1620, the Pilgrims in, in, in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And we've seen how critical race theory, CRT, and its media child, the 1619 Project, are spinning a false narrative of American history. So the 1619 Project was founded by Nicole Hannah-Jones, you see a picture there, back in 2019. She's an American investigative journalist contributing writer for the New York Times. And she said this, that the patriots fought the American Revolution, that those patriots, in large part, they did that to preserve slavery in North America. In other words, the United States was founded to protect slavery. Friends, that is a flat-out lie, okay? <clears throat> United States was not, in fact, founded to protect slavery. Over the past two years, uh, in America's history and heritage have been openly attacked and vilified. Uh, CRT has taken root and it's yielded a poisonous fruit dividing our society and actually has spread like a dry slough in the summer lit on fire. How many know what I'm talking about? And then next thing you know, we woke up and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Not just in the big cities, it's everywhere. And so our public education is now so pathetically bad that many have embraced these falsehoods completely and they are unaware that, and I just have some facts, some historical facts about America, and I'm gonna very quickly go through these. These are very interesting, but these are historical facts about America. Number one, black Americans. were elected to office in America as early as 1641. I don't know if you knew that. With hundreds elected to local, state, and federal positions in the 18th and 19th centuries. Here's the thing. It was not until 1987 that a black person was elected to parliament in Great Britain and in, not until 2010 in Russia. In New England, New England, where I grew up in, Massachusetts, was the first major region in the modern world to abolish slavery with all northern states having passed abolition laws by 1804. 
Number three, America was the first nation in the world to sign a law banning the slave trade in 1807. That was 214 years ago. Number four, with Americans' nationwide abolition of slavery in 1865, which was 156 years ago, it became one of the first nations in the world to completely end slavery and most consider it fourth among the scores of nations in the world at that time. Number five, of the 193 nations in the world in 2020, 94 still have not criminalized slavery. Imagine that. That means slavery is still legal in, mo- in almost half the world today. Still legal. Number six, there are currently 40 million slaves in the world. Three times more than the entire four-century history of the transatlantic African slave trade. Number seven, today, America is ranked by the global, global slavery index as the second most active Best nation in the world in fighting slavery. Somebody say amen. I think the Netherlands or something is considered number one. Here's the thing that's very alarming. Half of the 10 countries with the highest prevalence of slavery worldwide are African. The top five countries with the highest prevalence of modern slavery, number one, North Korea. Number two, Eritrea, which is Northeast Africa. Another uh, country, Burundi, which borders Rwanda in Africa, and then the Central African Republic, number four, and the fifth is actually Afghanistan. Thought that was interesting. Highest countries with the highest prevalence of modern-day slavery. So why do progressives focus on the 1619 instead of some other year in American history? Well, once again, because they claim that slavery was first introduced into America through Virginia's Jamestown colony in 1619. And so that claim, I believe, is definitely wrong, for we know that the Spanish brought slaves to the Carolinas in the 1526 and to Florida in the 1560s. And so, so what happened, Jamestown, seven, uh, in that time, at that time? Well, in 1619, uh, I have a definition here of privateers, just for you all. Privateers are an armed ship owned and officered by private individuals holding a government commission and authorized for use in war, especially in the capture of enemy merchant shipping. Well, in 1619, English privateers off the coast of Virginia captured a Portuguese slave trading ship that carried some slaves to nearby Jamestown to sell. Hence, according to critics, slavery began in America, and that's where the narrative begins. Yet once again, they are wrong on the story. Here's what happened, and here's what my studies show. When the privateers arrived ashore, they found that slavery was not legal in Virginia. I don't know if you knew that. So they simply left the slaves, less than two dozen, uh, with the civil authorities. And so because of Virginia law, those captives did not remain slaves, but instead became indentured servants. I'll explain that in a moment. The same as many whites in Jamestown that came from Europe were also indentured servants. In other words, they couldn't afford the trip, and they came, they wanted to come to the country, and so they submitted themselves to that. Many Europeans who arrived in the Americas came as indentured servants. So as was customary with the indentured servants, after serving a few years, anywhere from four to seven years, um, they received their freedom, and many of them were given land, and by the state, and they were pronounced it's free, and, and they could trade and free landowners. Just a little definition here, indentured servants agreed to work with no pay for a set amount of time, 
They often paid off a debt, could legally expect to become free at the end of their contract. This is a very disturbing story I'm going to share with you, and I, I had to read it five times before I thought, I've never heard this before. Historical records indicate that many obtained their freedom. However, one of those, uh, what they call a Negro, that was on the ship that was captured, that became an indentured servant, his name was Anthony Johnson, or Antonio. And there's record of this. He was an indentured servant among the group um, that was named. And he served seven years, and then he was freed. He was freed in Virginia. And receiving his land, uh, after he was freed, he purchased 250 acres, okay? And he became very prosperous, prosperous excuse me. He amassed a lot of funds, and um, he, he sold, and he was considerably wealthy, and he began employing indentured servants to work for him. He actually had five indentured servants. Four of them were white men, and one was a black man. His name uh, was John Kaser, C-A-S-O-R, Kaser. And this is just amazing. So he had these indentured servants that served. Well, there was a dispute that happened with the one African-American uh, servant, Jane, uh, John, excuse me. And so what happened was Anthony Johnson, he went to court, and he sued in court, seeking the permanent ownership of the man. And in 1653, the court granted him that man's service for life. So in other words, if I'm understanding this correctly, that first black man sued and, and went to court and uh, had the first black slave was another black man. That's in the history books. I never saw that. Here's the thing. He, he uh, this John... Caesar uh, served his time, but he, was, he didn't know how to read and write, and he served his seven years, but uh, Anthony kept him on Johnson, and so he complained, and he went to a neighbor, and the neighbor took him in, and, and that was the whole dispute, and at first, the courts favored in his side and said, you know what? He served his time. He's free. So it is actually a pronouncement of that. You can't keep him any longer. He paid his debts. So the court did that. Then he waited and he came back again after a few years as Anthony Johnson and then won the case. And this guy became the first slave. Insane. This is, this is, this is what it says. This was the first instance of a judicial determination in the 13 colonies holding that a person who had committed a crime could be held in servitude for life. John Kaser was the first black man uh, uh, brought in as a slave by another black man that owned, a play, uh, owned, owned property. The first occasion of legal slavery in Jamestown. Very sad, very sad situation. Here's what I want to say. Without a doubt, uh, there were several bad practices in America that can be traced directly back to Jamestown, including that of slavery. Can I get an amen? The Jamestown colony often failed to lift up to its Christian ideals. And the profession of many uh, where it could have shown brightly in that time. But one historian writes that the failure was the product of the English culture in which the people live, not the Bible's teaching. Can I get an amen? Earlier generations of Americans knew that, and they knew and they understood that what happened in Jamestown was not the only word. It was not the final story. There was another story to be told, and that is the story of the pilgrims. The pilgrims in 1620 came uh, to America. Uh, in England, there was a Puritan faction known as the English Separatist Church. 
and so they legally broke from there and went up towards Amsterdam and around Amsterdam and around 1607, and then were more in a, a, a Dutch area. And, and then it got to a point where they said, we got to come to America. And so we see this coming to America, uh, the Mayflower ship, 180 tons, set sail from England in 1620. Aboard were 102 souls, determined to cross the Atlantic. And after 66 stormy days, they landed at, in, in, at Plymouth, Massachusetts, actually in the harbor, kind of where I grew up. I know the area, I'm familiar with it, and Massachusetts, and uh, they stayed on the ship for a few months and came to shore on and off, and then they came to Plymouth Rock, which was the huge granite boulder that stood at the water's edge. But here's the thing, before they finally came to shore, all of them, uh, Governor Branford at the time that was there, was kind of a, one of the known leaders on the ship, felt that it was going to be kind of mayhem at this time, and they needed to come together and unify kind of every man to himself, uh, as many of them died through the first winter. And so they, they came together, and they signed a covenant. It's called the Mayflower Compact. I don't know if you knew this, but in the Mayflower Compact, I'm going to read it here in a moment. It was signed November 11th, 1620, about 400 years ago, 10 days ago. Think about that. After they landed. And this is what they write, and you can find this online. This is what they wrote. In the name of God, amen. We chose names, they're underwritten. The loyal subjects of the dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God in Great Britain, France and Ireland, King, defender of the faith, have underwritten for the glory of God in the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these present solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and in one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body. Wow. America's first governmental document known as the Mayflower Compact was signed on this day in 1620 by the members of the pilgrims before they disembarked from the ship and they voted to establish a new form of government in the new world. That's a historical fact. The Mayflower Complex clearly stated what they had undertaken was, watch this, for the glory of God. I want you to see that. It was for the glory of God. Maybe I have a slide for that. And the advancement of the Christian faith. That was in the Mayflower Compact. Can I get an amen? So they're at 66 days. They're at sea. They're in treacherous storms coming. And <clears throat> the pilgrims intended to settle in the northern parts of his existing Virginia colony. And so they diligently tried to reach that. But fierce winds... And providential winds blew them far north to a region completely outside of Virginia's jurisdiction. What are you trying to say, Pastor Mike? You know, this is a season where there's fierce winds that are blowing. But you know what? Don't be afraid of the fierce winds. Because the fierce winds brought those pilgrims looking to establish and build a faith in this country to a place where they could do that. Can I get an amen? God may be blowing you, but he's going to blow you into a place where you can settle and be strong. He can blow you with fierce winds into a place of your divine appointment. Can I get an amen? And that's what happened to the pilgrims. So they land ashore in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and, and they found an, an empty and uninhabited location in which to settle. When they came ashore, they fell to their knees and they thanked God. They thanked God, reaffirming their continued reliance upon him, bringing the Bible-based principles that became the seeds of the greatest and freest nation of the world that we have ever known. Amen. In 1802, 
Uh, John Quincy Adams, he was our sixth president. He was a statesman. He was a lawyer. He was a diplomat. And he said this, the only instance in human history of that positive original social compact, he's talking about, described the Mayflower Compact, and it is popularly believed to have influenced the Declaration of Independence and our U.S. Constitution, that compact, what they wrote. The Mayflower Compact was the first civil governing document written in America, and it was established upon Judo-Christian foundations. This compact was the beginning of American constitutional government that gave birth to the U.S. Constitution. Wow, once again, that Mayflower Compact is a covenant with God, dedicating this land, America, now called the United States of America, to the advancement of Christian faith. How far have we fallen? As anyone can see, these were men and women that were dedicated to establishing a land for the advancement of the Christian faith, and they set themselves apart, bringing all that they had, all that they claimed in covenant with God. And here's the thing. It wasn't just for their time. I want you to hear this. It wasn't just for their time while they were on earth or their season now, and things have changed. No, it was written on William Bradford's grave that the covenant of their subsequent sacrifices were not to be relinquished. That's on his grave's tombstone. Forever, forever in America. Well, as I wind this down here, as Americans embrace socialism and human secularism, we need to remember that these, these 41 that signed, that began a nation with their prayers and signatures um, back in 1620, November 11th, 400 years later, here we are today. You know, when I think about, the, you know, I'm not really big into numbers, but there's something significant about the number 400. And I looked that up and I thought, hmm, here we are in America 400 years later celebrating our Thanksgiving coming up and in, in the, the formation of our, our country in its, its beginning. 400 years later, how many know there's more believers today than there are back then? Amen? 400 years later, citizens of the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. I believe we can reclaim what our forefathers, uh, they, they secured for us. Amen? And I looked at the word 400. Actually, actually, it's mentioned 22 times in the Bible. And it actually means there's a, uh, uh, there's a, uh, a relation to lament and uh, holy flock or a message to the holy flock is actually kind of what it means. And then some passage in here, I'll just read briefly, a 400 meaning a divine perfect period, a divine perfect period. You know, I believe we're entering in a divine perfect period. We've gone through 400 years and, 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 and slavery being abolished. It's a divine perfect period. We see in Genesis 15, 400 year period existed from God fulfilling his pledge to Abraham that we have a son Isaac to win. The children of Israel leaving Egypt, it was 400 years. 400 years, the Lord said that after the fourth generation, I will free them and they will come out. Mm, interesting. Uh, when they rededicated and they rebuilt the temple, they sacrificed 400 lambs. David, when he was fleeing from Saul, <clears throat> they said, the Bible says that 400 men came and joined him in battle. It's a divinely perfect period now. Stand with me if you would, please. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, with men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. You say, Pastor Mike, sounds very daunting. It is very daunting. When we look at the news, when we look at our nation, and we look at how far things have fallen. But friends, 
Light works best in darkness. <laughs> and God is moving in this season. And he's just looking for people that are willing to stand. He's looking for a people to not to be fearful. He's looking for a people to say yes and not to be afraid that, you know what, this nation was not started because of slavery. This nation was started with a covenant by God with these believers to advance the kingdom of God. Yes, we have fallen so far. But, and you know, we know the focus now is on this whole narrative of Jamestown. And um, we know that both colonies had a powerful impact on the nation. And there's a long legacy felt across many generations in dramatic ways. But one historian said this, while the colonists of Jamestown were professing Christians, the pilgrims were biblical Christians. The Bible is calling us to be biblical believers at this season. Can I get an amen? Every head bowed this morning, if you would, please. We know Jamestown does not reflect what America eventually became. I believe it was Plymouth and it was in Massachusetts. Those pilgrims, that's what, what our foundation we can rest upon. Lord willing, I'll talk more about the 1619 Project uh, next week. But in this moment, I just want to encourage and challenge many of you here today as we started the service this morning. And we talked about this is a time of shaking and awakening. Perhaps you may be here this morning. Maybe you're listening on, online and you're, you're not right. You're kind of just, you're, you're, you're not in, you're not out. You're just like wondering and you're, you're considering. I want to challenge you today. The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day for you to get right with God. Today is a day for you to make a decision. Who will you serve? Are you going to serve God? Are you going to surrender your life to Him? Are you going to live for yourself? No decision in this moment is a decision. God has not called us to be passive. He's given us a free will, I believe, to choose. To choose to follow Him. Signs are all about us in the world, showing that God is alive and well. But the enemy is out there too to try to attack that and attack our foundation even as a nation and to attack us as a, as a people and as a group. But I believe the church is going to get brighter and brighter. And I believe God's presence in the house of God is going to increase and more and more people are going to come into the kingdom of God. And is that you here this morning and your heart's right and you're ready to accept God and you're ready to repent of your sins, to surrender yourself to the Lord, to, to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, then pray with me. Pray with me as I lead you in a prayer. Say this with me. Let's pray corporately. Jesus, I repent. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. Come into my life. Fill it with your Holy Spirit. I believe you died on that cross for my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. Now take it. Thank you for saving me. I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that, you meant it. God meant it. And we want to help you in your journey, help you grow in your faith, and help you in the things of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I want to invite the altar workers at this time. They come forward. They're here to pray for you as we dismiss the service. I know there was a lot of historical information here this morning. When we talk about our nation, how our nation is really blessed, the reason America is blessed is because of the foundation, not just freedom, but faith. Faith in our nation is the reason I believe that. Has America been perfect with its history? Absolutely not, no. There's a lot to have to own up to. But a lot has been overcome in 400 years. 
a lot has been changed for the good of our country. And let me just say this and go on the record. I don't believe America is a racist nation. Not what has been accomplished. Is there racism in America? You better believe it. And that needs to be eradicated. That needs to be removed. That is not the Bible. That is not the Christian faith. Can I get amen? Amen. Amen. Every head bowed if you would this morning. Father, we, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this moment, even these words. Lord, I thank you for stirring us as a people that in this season we shall not be a passive people. We shall be strong in you. We shall be confident in you. Our hope is in you. And Lord, we thank you that even those early pilgrims, those founding fathers, they loved and worshiped you, Father God. They were passionate of seeing a nation, one nation under God. Lord, that we would keep that torch aflame and going. That freedom would continue in our nation. Lord, that we would be strong in our faith. That we wouldn't be arrogant. That we wouldn't be divisive. That we wouldn't be, as your people, uh, part of the problem. But Lord, we would be part of the solution, I pray. In this season, Lord, I bless the people of God. And Lord, I pray for our America. Come on, church. I pray for our nation. Lord, that we would come back to you, O God. And Lord, those that don't even know you, that have grown up without even knowing anything in church, not knowing Bible stories or anything, that we, they would be awakened as ripe fruit in this season and come into the kingdom of God where they will be trained, they will be taught, they will be uh, uh, encouraged and prayed over and, and Lord, deliverance would come over their lives. And Lord, that your house may be full, that the church would move and grow stronger like never before. I believe in the name of Jesus that our greatest season is ahead, not behind. The greatest harvest for this church is ahead, not behind. And we thank you for it now. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a blessed Thanksgiving uh, this week in Jesus' name.